We're going to finish off chapter 12 today. If you're new with us, you can find it on our app, all of our notes or website. And if you ever forget the website, it's right there on the sound booth, mpichurch.org. And Metro Praise International, you can download the app from Google or from Apple. Man, if you guys are rock stars, you guys will be here next week with about 10 of your friends. I am telling you, these precious uh, missionaries are going to bless you. They are so awesome, man. I just can't wait to be front row and just to receive. So make sure you are here next week with your friends, your family. Bring as many folks as you can. Bring One-Eyed Willie, the homeless guy, always having the sign at the corner you might frequent. Just say, One-Eyed Willie, hop on in, and then just bring them on in. Amen. Be safe when you do it. Be safe when you you do it, but bring him in, okay? Uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be what? Good. Help me preach. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Amen. You want to be a good tree with good fruit? That's what we're going to do today. That's today's message. Or make a tree what? Bad. Now, kind of like change your tone. Be like, bad. Okay, make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. That's what you don't want to be, okay? For a tree is recognized by its fruit. I want everybody to look at their neighbor and ask them this question. What kind of tree do you think I am? Okay, look at your neighbor. Husbands, look at your wives. Children, look to your parents. Siblings, look to each other. Because you should be able to tell what kind of tree I am. You should be able to ask your coworkers what kind of tree you are, and they should be able to say, oh, you are a Christian tree. I can tell. You're one of those. I'm not talking about because just you, you know, you're judgmental or whatever, but because you really got good fruit in your life. Your husband or wife should be able to look at you and go, man, honey, you are a fine, good tree. Woo, I'll tell you that. You should be able to do that because we are meant to be good. So this idea that nobody's perfect is the kind of tree you're supposed to be. You're not supposed to be a nobody's perfect kind of tree. You're supposed to be a good tree. You're supposed to be a great tree. You might say, well, sometimes my tree has some some bad things on it. It might make mistakes. Yeah, that's true. But God says he'll prune that tree. He'll prune the tree as you repent for those things you've done so that you can always be a good tree. As you notice, there's no kind of like, eh, kind of like, kind of sort of good tree. No, it's either good or bad. That is the way the whole entire world has been split up, by those who are good or those who are evil. Now listen, you might think you're good without God, but that's not true. You are evil and you're deceived by a bad kind of evil called pride. That's when you don't think you need God, okay? Uh, Let's try an experiment right now. Breathe without the oxygen God gave you. Ready, set, go. Make your own. How about this? Uh, Live on a planet that you make. Ready, set, go. Okay, let's see how much you need God. You need God to even argue about God. You understand that? I don't believe there's a God as you're breathing in air, standing on his ground. I don't believe there's a God. You're pretty much a fool, the Bible says. Literally, the Bible says the fool says in their heart there is no God. So you, can, you, you, you have to go against everything of common sense to say there's no God. It's, it's against common sense to say that this came from nothing and, and that we are intelligent just by accident. It, it is foolishness to believe that. So listen to me. Even if you are a good person according to the world because you don't think you're as bad as Hitler, you have to understand that as God is going to judge you, you're not getting judged by how far you are away from Hitler. You're going to be judged by how perfect you are like Christ, Jesus, the perfect person. And so all of us in that way have fallen short. We are bad. But the born-again Christian experience is to be made good. So I like to say it like this. You're born first naughty by nature. You're born again into the divine nature. You're born first a bad tree. And then as a child, you have to learn to make the right decisions over time and choose Christ to become a good tree. And becoming a good tree is not a long, lifelong process, though you're learning how to do better and better as you go in life, you mature. But becoming a good tree is being born again. Again, it's a process of instantaneous transformation. It's when you surrender your bad tree to God and say, rip it out by the roots, change my heart, and make me a good tree. So he says, make a tree good. Who makes the tree? God does, but you make the decision to what kind of tree you want to be. Does everybody get that? Okay, God will do the work, but you have to make the choice to do the work. So it almost would be like, let's, let's, make, let's make a cake right now. Well, I have no idea how to make a cake right now. But Jessica, everybody go, hey, Jessica. 
Yeah, there she goes. She can make all the cupcakes and cakes and all these design cakes you want. So she's a baker, right? So we can go to her, and with her help, we can make that cake, okay? Now, the idea is in Christianity is that God is doing it with us. We're, we're in a relationship with him. He's not forcing us, even as Christians, to make good decisions. But he's showing us his wisdom, his knowledge, his commands. All of that, God is saying, I got you. Somebody say, I got you. Amen. So now it's up to you. What decision do you want to make? Do you want to be a bad tree or do you want to be a good tree? Because the Bible says really serious in verse 34, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? So what kind of tree were they, a good or evil tree? An evil tree. And now he says, you being evil, you really can't do anything good. And so the idea with that is if you have AIDS, can you give yourself a blood transfusion to cure your, your disease? You can't take blood out of your left arm and put it into your right arm and change yourself if you got AIDS. And so the idea is if you are a bad tree from the root, you're going to have bad, uh, bad fruit. So the fruit is determined by the root. And he's calling out these guys. So those who don't think that Jesus called names, remember, Jesus is not Barney Jesus. This is real Jesus. He called them a bunch of snakes, okay? And, 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 just, and just remember, some people might think that that's a little bit vulgar because in our world, when we get mad, we call people female dogs. But if you would say that in his world, they wouldn't even care. They'd be like, what's a female dog? What does that got to do with me? But he called them snakes. That was very offensive to them. Do you guys get that? Okay. Now, you might say, was Jesus cussing? No, because Jesus was not being vulgar. He was just using an animal to describe their behavior. And if you look at a lot of the foolish words we say in culture that are cuss words, they're really not saying anything. When you call somebody a female dog or, or have as a sinner, what are you saying about them, really? You know, you're not describing their, their, your, their behavior. By him calling them a brood of vipers, what he is saying is, you are sneaky little evil snakes. That's just what you're like. He says, now watch this. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Have you ever been around somebody that maybe cussed you out, said something mean to you, and they said, oh, I didn't mean that? They were lying to you. They did mean that. You know, have you ever done that? Be honest. You ever slip and say things? Well, I didn't mean that. Yes, you did. That is not a true apology. I didn't mean that. What you need to say is I am sorry for talking and thinking like that. Now, there's a reason why I haven't cursed in, in, in 20 years. There's a reason because I don't think on vulgarity. So you think it's any accident I haven't cursed in 20 years? No, it's not an accident. It's because my roots have been changed, so the fruit of my life has changed, the fruit of my mouth. How many get that today? So we need to get out of this idea like, oops, I didn't know where that came. Oops, I didn't mean to say that. No, 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 no. Even if at that moment you lost your temper and you lack self-control, that could be true. There's still a root to why you talk like that. It's like there's never, there's never going to be a conversation with my wife that I'm going to say, you stupid bee. That, like, that, that will never happen. So if you are in a relationship, ladies, with a man that can call you a stupid bee, that needs to be the last time you've had a talk with him. Amen? You need to break up with him. That thing is over because if that's already acceptable at this level, it's already wrong. It's broken. Okay, now, now you say, man, I'm in a marriage like that. We just can't split up. Okay, well, you need to get marriage counseling, amen? You both need to repent and get those roots taken out. And I know women can cuss out guys too, but my point is, is that when you are acting a certain way, when you are talking a certain way, when I do, when anybody does it, it always has a root in your heart. That's why the Bible says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Now look at verse 35, please. In verse 35, Jesus makes it even more clear. A good man, somebody say a good man, brings good things. Somebody say good things out of the good stored up in him. Somebody say good stored up in him. Amen. So look at the three goods there. The Bible says you can be a good man or woman. That's how you're supposed to be. You're not supposed to say, well, nobody's really good. You know, we all make mistakes. I get that. Before Christ, we're all sinners. But in Christ, aren't we saints now? Isn't that how the Bible says we are? So you're supposed to be a good man or woman that has good things that comes from the good stored up in you. Your heart is like a public storage spot. What you put in there is what's going to come out. That's why you came to church this morning, amen? Because you want to get, you want God's presence in your heart. You want the word of God in your heart. You want encouragement. Well, keep that up every day, man. We do daily devotionals on the app and on my Facebook. You know, check in with the word of God. 
People have life groups here to meet in their homes all throughout the week. There's activities and all of that. But at the end of the day, it's going to be your decision on you being good, you having a good heart, you having good things. Those are your choices. Go back to the garden. What was the choice between the knowledge of what? Good and evil. And now, how much of good, of good are people choosing? Not much. What are mostly people choosing? Evil. So don't be like that. Choose good. Now watch this right here. This is the part right here that scares me because I'm a talker. Look at verse 36. Verse 36 says, But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Woo, come on, somebody. How many of that put the fear of God in you right there? That's what I'm talking about. So imagine all the F-bombs people have dropped. That is going to be brought up on Judgment Day. And most of the time, it's absolute folly. I would probably say all the time. The F word literally is a meaningless word as an adjective. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's, it's literally meaningless. It adds no description to what you are saying. And the Bible says, Every meaningless word, not just curse word, but that's a good example of a meaningless word as a curse word, but every meaningless word you have said is going to be brought up on judgment day. Somebody say, forgive me, Lord. <laughs> that's why we ask for forgiveness, amen? And if you don't know what words to ask for forgiveness of, just talk to your spouse. Your spouse will help you or your best friend will tell you what words you should be repenting of because I know I have said a lot of meaningless words. Now, if you think that God is playing around. Look at what he says in verse 7. This is Jesus talking. For by your what? By your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So now, let me just go through, go through some of the commands of the Bible. We don't have to turn to the scriptures to see every one of them. Trust me, they're there. And now tell me what are the words you're going to say back to this. Okay, how about this? Don't have sex outside of marriage. Do you say amen or do you say not me? See, amen. But see, your words would, would acquit you or your words will condemn you. Because if you argue right back to that, oh, man, that's not me. Uh, you, know, you, you know, I'm married. I'm not married, but I got a boyfriend. He said he loved me. We're, we're together and we got kids together. No, no, no. See, everything you are now saying, the Bible says that's going to condemn you. Here's another command. The Bible says to forgive your enemies. Do you say amen or not me? Amen. But if you say back, that's not me. I'm not going to do that because you know what? My enemy deserves my anger. You don't know what they did to me. Let me just ask you this. Have they crucified you yet? <laughs> Even Jesus being crucified said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I'll, say, I'll be right there with you. If they have broken the law, press charges. If they have abused you, press charges. I'm, I'm so about justice in this world. Trust me. But the Bible says you have to get their poison out by forgiveness. Okay? Here's another command. The Bible says, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Do you say amen or do you say not me? You say amen, right, if you want to serve Jesus. So you have to be careful. When you're putting OMG, when you're putting OMG on your text, are you giving God praise like, oh, my God, I just love you so much after you just saw that little cake that they're eating or that, that meal that they took a picture of? OMG, that's so awesome. I wish I was getting that Ibarito with you right now. No, 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 no. Think about it. Is OMG a meaningless word or are you praising him? I've even corrected my, uh, my mom on this because I said, Mom, you're putting OMG like these teenage girls on everything. I said, the name of God should only be invoked when we're giving him praise and honor. We should take it seriously when we say his name. And I could be here all day. The Bible says do not covet. The Bible says obey your parents. The Bible says, you know, don't gossip and all those things. And so your words, my words, will either acquit us, uh, put us into the good category, or they will condemn us and put us into the evil category. And so a true Christian says amen to the word of God. Can I hear amen for that? Amen. So summarize this first passage up today, which is the, the bulk of our message, which is be a good tree and bear good fruit. And where's the first place we look for the good fruit? From your mouth, because your heart has been changed. Amen. Let's go to verse 38. Uh, sometimes chapters, this for those who are learning to study the Bible with us, may not always fit into the same subject. So as we're going verse by verse, we're now going to kind of switch gears and talk about a different thing called the sign of Jonah. Look at verse 38. 
Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, if you've been tracking with this over the last 11 chapters, you would know why they said that. They don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. They think Jesus is just doing a bunch of miracles, but he's an ordinary prophet. And Jesus is getting on their nerves because Jesus is not acting like an ordinary prophet. He's forgiving sins. He's changing the law, calling himself the Lord of the entire law. He said just earlier that he was greater than the temple itself, and the temple for the Jewish people was the greatest thing God had ever even given them, and now they're like, well, if you are who you say you are, give us a sign. And, you know, we can beat them up for that because they're kind of the oompa loompas of the story, but there's one part that maybe we can relate to. If Jesus is the Messiah, and the Messiah is greater than Moses, shouldn't Jesus have bigger signs than Moses? That's kind of how they're thinking, right? They have the wrong heart, but it's not necessarily a bad idea. Like Moses is probably the greatest figure of the Old Testament because he had all of those signs, right? Like Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest, but they hadn't recognized that yet. So just in their mind, let's just go where they're at. They're thinking, dude, Moses split the Red Sea, gave them, uh, you know, frosted flakes every morning, manna, you know. Uh, he met with God face to face and saw the finger of God write the commandments. He would go into the temple and meet with God in the holy place. There, there are signs galore with Moses. So if, if the Messiah is greater than Moses, then show us a bigger sign. Split the moon, you know, float in the air. Now watch what Jesus says to them. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign. Somebody go, oh, snap. Jesus calling names again. It's like, don't, you know, like, don't hold it against him. He's an okay guy. No, sometimes it's good to call names if you're using them to describe things. I'm not embarrassed of this Jesus. It's not like I'm holding Jesus back going, come on, Jesus. You know, you know let me talk to him. No, I'm like, go on, Jesus. You tell them. Wicked is obvious. The generation was living in sin, rejecting the Messiah. That makes you wicked. If you don't accept Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, same word, just in different languages, you're wicked. That's obvious. But why does he call them adulterous? In other parts of the Gospels, he calls them perverted. Does that literally mean everybody in that generation is cheating on their spouse, being sexually perverted? No. They're cheating on God. They're perverting the original version for their soul to be with God. They're giving their soul to others. It's perversion off of the original version. See, that's what the problem is. Is they're saying, look, watch, because he doesn't just call them like fornicators. He calls them adulterers because what does an adulterer do? An adulterer comes home, pretends like everything is good, and then goes to the gym, meets the trainer, and then has an affair, but then comes right back home. How does that relate to them? You see, they go to the temple. They act religious. They put on the mask. They do all the stuff that's supposed to make them look good, and then on the sneaky sneak like a viper, they're over here sinning. Now, I don't think the Pharisees are too far off from our generation because I talk to a lot of people that say, if God is real, have them show me something. So here's, here's what I do with sassy people like that. I go, I'll show you that God exists after you prove to me you exist. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take my skeptic meter and I'm going to turn it all the way to 10 now because that's how they want to be with God. Prove it, prove it, prove it. So I go, prove you exist. Let's start with you. Maybe I'm talking to a robot. Prove to me you're not a robot. Prove to me an alien didn't body snatch you last night. It's now living on the inside of you. Prove to me that you're not in the matrix right now. Prove to me that we're not in the dream of a God. And all of a sudden they get into their mind, whoa, whoa, whoa. I guess I don't know how to prove to you I exist. You want to know why? It's because without starting with God, you can't prove anything exists. Can you long jump while you're skydiving? Think about it. Long jump, move that way while you're skydiving. No. No, you can't. Why? Because there's no foundation. People who say prove God exists have this showed you that they don't even understand that they are one of the first proofs that God exists, that they exist that there's a planet, that there's all these things that we call the natural laws and logic. I'm going to logically disprove God to you right now. Okay, let's just start with where did you get logic from first? 
Did that come from the goo through the zoo to you? Do I find logic in a, in a microscope when I look down there at your DNA? Do I see logic in a brain scan, the law of non-contradiction? You see how foolish the world is. So we're no different than them. Prove it to me, Jesus. And Jesus says, you guys are wicked. You guys are adulterous. You cheat on me. You come to me at the funeral. You come to me when you want me to bless your kids. You come to me when you're sick or somebody you love is dying. And then all the other times you go to the Cubs, you go, you go to Lollapalooza, you go to your job, and you act like I don't even exist. You're an adulterer. Now the Bible says, but he loves us. He will give us a sign. And in actuality, it's going to be the greatest sign we've ever seen. He says, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What's a greater sign? God splitting the Red Sea or God taking our sins on the cross and him rising again on the third day? He is going to give us the greater sign, but it's not the one they were looking for. And So let me just help you right here. The sign that God gives you to know that he exists, that he loves you and cares about you, is the sign that Jesus died and rose again. If the cross doesn't convince you of those things, nothing else will. Because let's go back to Moses' time, what these Pharisees are referring to. How well did they follow Moses in the commands in the wilderness after they saw the Red Sea parted? Good or bad? bad. After they saw the cloud by day, fire by night, did they still obey God? No, they disobeyed him over and over. So really, there is no sign that will ever convince you except you humbling yourself before the cross. Because that is the sign of forgiveness and love. And the resurrection is the proof. He wasn't just a martyr, a good man dying for a cause, a good cause. He wasn't just Braveheart. He wasn't just Martin Luther King assassinated, Jr. He was a man that had God on the inside as the God man. And when he died, they couldn't hold him down. He came up out that grave three days later. And the Bible says, if he did it, so will we. And it promises us we do have heaven and eternity to come. Now, I highlighted right here for three days and three nights because I don't know if you've ever put the, the calendar out and tried to figure it out, but it's not really three days and three nights if you start with Friday. Okay, let's, let's do it right now. If he died on Friday, that's Friday night. He's in the grave then as well, Saturday night, and he raises what day? Sunday. How many nights did we have? Two. Have you ever saw that before in the Bible? Well, let me start with the first question. Do you read the Bible? <laughs> okay. Have you ever read this part of the Bible? Did you ever have a question then? Okay, you should because if you think about it, if he's dying on Friday, rising on Sunday, that's not three days and three nights. Two things to know right here. I have the link. You can study it out further. The first thing is they counted days differently than we do. We count a day starting and ending by 12 a.m. in the middle of the night. They had no concept of that. That was not their way of doing it. Their way of doing it was actually a more practical way. When the sun went down, the sun set, the day was over. Then how do you know that that day started? Because when the sun went down, that other day is over, and then now at night, the new day starts. And then how do you know when the day is coming towards an end, when it starts to get evening again? So they didn't have to wonder, what is it 12 a.m.? Is it a new day? You know, how would they even count down any festivals that way or holidays? They looked simply at the sun going down. Oh, that, the other day is down. It's over. The new day starts. So that's the first thing. So when Jesus died Friday in the afternoon, that was part of Friday and then when the sun goes down, that's Friday night. Then he's in the grave Saturday, Saturday night, and then he rises Sunday. But we're still missing a night. Now, how do we understand that? Even if we do count days the way they do. The, the link that I have here talks about the idiom they would use. They would use a day and a night even if there was a partial part of a day or a night. They would count it as both. So if you were doing something and it was part of a day or part of a night, you would say, I, would do, I was doing it for day and night. It was not a contradiction to them. And so an example of this is when Queen Esther said, everybody fast for three days and three nights. And by the way, there are things in the Bible that repeat with numbers. So notice, three days and three nights was Jonah, was Esther's fast, and Jesus in the grave, right? But in Esther's story, as you can look in the Bible, the Bible says, don't eat for three days or three nights, but the beginning of the first day, they all break the fast and she goes to the king. Now, we have one or two choices to make right here. Number one, 
We can think everybody from the Old Testament to the New Testament are literally idiots that do not know how to tell time, okay? And, and, and they are contradicting himself. Every gospel says three days and three nights. So Matthew, he, he doesn't even know what time it is. Mark, Luke, John, Esther, she didn't know what. She's like showing up a day early. She's blowing the whole thing up, you know. Like nobody knows how to tell time. They're just foolish, number one. Or number two, we don't understand their culture. <laughs> Which one do you think it is? We don't understand their culture. So people who try to be like, oh, your Bible said three days and three nights, and you you count it down, you see how stupid you guys are. We're like, really, you guys are stupid because you don't understand their culture. Like, literally, I mean, let's just think. Like, let's say you were trying to make a lie up. Don't you think you'd get the days right? And I could understand if, like, one guy gets it wrong, but every single gospel writer on the number one doctrine of Christianity, he dies and rises, they all say three days and three nights. They are terrible liars if that's what they're trying to do because anybody at that time could just be like, uh, we know Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You want to know why? Because you say it happened three days and three nights, and it was from a Friday to a Sunday. Did anybody ever talk to them like that? No. You want to know why? Because everybody in the culture knew that's exactly how you would count time. A part of a day would count as a full day, and you could say day or night, and it would still matter for that day. Look at the scriptures. So your Bible is not telling a lie. Now, there's a third option that sometimes people try to say, well, well you know, the Bible, you know, because it's got to be word for word true, like what we believe. But they say it's got to mean what we say it means. So then they try to change the day where Jesus died. Jesus died on Thursday instead of Friday, and then they'll change the whole calendar around. Well, the problem with that is, is you can't do that from the narratives. It has to be a Friday, and it has to be a Sunday. I don't have time to get into that. The article does. So you're left with, like I said, the two options. Either none of these people in our entire Bible knows how to count a day and a night, or you and I don't understand them. And I would like to go with the, we don't understand that culture, okay? And by the way, we still use terms that are unscientific, but we all know what it means. The sun sets. The sun sets. How many know the sun is not setting? It's still right where it was set before, you know? Like, we're the one turning around that thing, you know? And then we always talk about moonlight, right? Like, moonlight, like, do you think there's a light bulb in the moon shining? No, it's reflective light. How many know what I'm talking about? We still speak this way, and so their culture was speaking that way. Now, go back to it. He says, I'm going to give you a sign, and as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Go to verse 41, please. And the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and give them a bunch of free cookies. Is that what it says? It says, and they will what? Condemn it. This generation will come and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Nineveh, or at the, uh, the preaching of Jonah and Nineveh. And then now watch what he says here. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Woo, come on, somebody. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now something greater than Solomon is where? Here. Now let me ask you something. Is Jesus like the friends you have that you meet at the party that says he knows karate, but he really doesn't, and you all just make fun of him and say, show me your moves, dude. Is Jesus like that guy? Let's just think about that because we all know that guy, you know, and, and, and you've been at the party, and he's like, man, I know karate, and he starts doing it like this, and he looks really silly, and if you're a guy like me, you're like, hey, man, come on over here. Show me your karate on Josh, you know, and then Josh like, like body slams him, you know. In the first service, there was a lot more laughter because everybody knew the guy out actually talking about. Some of you in the second service don't know, but there was a guy in our church. He's a good brother. He goes to another church now, but he was that guy we would tease all the time. He knew Taekwondo. He knew karate. He could do MMA, you know, and I would always be the one in the background like, go ahead and do it, dude. Let's see it, you know. So Jesus is like, hey, you know what? You know, Jonah was a great prophet, but somebody greater than Jonah's here. You know, Solomon was the wisest man that was on the earth. Somebody greater than Solomon is here. Is Jesus that guy, the fool? No, but he's telling the truth, though, isn't he? He's literally looking at them. If anybody were to say these things, it's blasphemy. Anybody says these things other than God, our God, our creator in the flesh, this is crazy pride. But he's, he's going, you guys thought Jonah was great bringing a whole city to repentance? I'm greater than that guy. You know, Solomon, the wisest man in the earth, the guy who wrote a lot of the, the Bible that, that gave us wisdom, the Proverbs and all that, I'm smarter than that guy. 
Is he prideful? No, he's telling them, I'm standing right in front of you. That is the sign, the sign before the sign. I'm doing miracles. I'm raising the dead, in other words. And all of these things are happening, and you guys are still not repenting. You hold the Bible. Everybody get it? Come on, let's not just look at them and see how silly they are. You hold the wisest teachings on earth. Do you obey it? If everybody was obeying this, just in our church, there shouldn't even be room to get in here this morning. But yet we think we're smarter than this. And yet this is the greatest book that's ever been written. We argue with this all the time. People tell me all the time, well, I don't agree with that. I don't agree. Like, like as if like, like, like this is a post on Facebook and you're going to put your comment below. Like, oh God, I just don't agree with that. Like I was kind of thinking this. And like God's going to write back, like, ah, I know how you feel, you know, and, you know, but I, you know, I kind of feel like this and maybe think about it. No, the Bible literally says, get this, literally says that on Judgment Day, it's not just God who judges us. Because people are like, only God can judge me. Not according to God. He gets other people involved in the judgment. So as he points to the Pharisees of this generation, if they don't repent, they're literally going to hell because Jesus was in front of them and they didn't receive it. And after he goes, you go to hell, the Bible says Nineveh, 100,000 people in the amplifier of God's judgments are, are going to stand up and go, yeah, go to hell. It's quiet, but it's true. And then you, I mean, seriously, you have people that are going to be told, you did not repent to Jesus when he was here, and you didn't listen, and you're going to go to hell. And then the queen, come on, she's going to come up, and she's going to be like, I listened to Solomon, y'all, and you didn't even listen to Jesus? Go to hell. She's going to tell them off. Look at what the Bible says. The Bible says the queen of the south will rise at the judgment. She's going to stand up at the judgment and condemn you guys. Quiet in this Presbyterian church. Man, you guys are quiet Presbyterians. Aren't we Pentecostals? I thought we were supposed to say amen at stuff like that. How is it they get to write to condemn with God, not on their own? How is it they get to stand up and point the finger now? Because they did what was right. They wanted their tree to be good. And they are literally going to look at these people like, are you kidding me? We listened to Jonah. Jonah smelled like whale puke. He looked nasty. He got, he got burped up out of the ocean, walking around with seaweed. And we stopped and go, yeah, we should listen to this guy. The queen is literally going to be like, I was with a guy that had 300 wives. He was perverse, but I knew at least the Bible he was saying was true, and I repented, and you're with the most holiest man that's ever walked the earth. He literally walks on water, and you're arguing with him. There's one point where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. The Jews get so mad they want to kill Jesus and Lazarus. It's like, dude, he was just raised from the dead. We don't care. We're going to kill him again. We don't want him going around telling people he got raised from the dead. He's going to mess our religion up. You see what happens when you follow your folly? See what happens when you don't put Jesus in front of everything? It literally looks like that. And God says on Judgment Day, there's going to be witnesses to condemn us if we didn't listen. And I believe that we have had the greatest opportunity. We have the full scriptures. We have Christian history where we can look back. I mean, every continent, you can look back and find a hero. You can look through Latin America's history and all the Christians that have been through Latin America. You can look in Europe. You can look in Africa. You can look in Asia. You can see just every culture has been impacted by the gospel. I mean, there is no excuse, male and female, young and old. I mean, we have stories about David versus Goliath. I mean, every Everything is told to you here. You can, you can see it lived out throughout. Just get a book and read any Christian history book, you know, and you can see what Christians did for God. And if we don't listen to it, I guarantee you those guys will be condemning us. Because they'll say, we listened to and we didn't even have a Bible to tell us the whole story. You got the whole Bible. And we didn't even know anybody in our culture who was doing it. But now you know, you know your neighbor goes to church. Your friend goes to church. This is not beyond our ability to make a good choice. We can make this choice to live for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's not be like them uh, doubting God. Let's go now to uh, the, the spirits. Verse 43. Now he kind of switches gears. 
And he says, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, the spirit talking, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Everybody say, worse than the first. One more time, worse than the first. Amen. Now listen to me, ladies. You do not want a boyfriend that's worse than the first, okay? If you are single right now, ladies, do not find a dude named worse than the first. Same thing with the fellas. Y'all need to stay on track. You've had enough of the zeros. Get yourself a hero. Okay, and if you say, well, man, I'm married to someone that's worse than the first, y'all need to see, you need to see a marriage counselor, amen? Go to this Christian uh, counseling. So listen to me. Worse than the first talks about backsliding, and then he says, this is, that is what this wicked generation will be like, and I feel like that's what this generation is like. We have had been Christians before in this nation, and, and not everybody I, I understand there was slavery. I understand all of these things. But even if you look at that, still there were good Christians during that time because they fought to end slavery. Civil rights, a lot of bad things happened here. But Reverend Martin Luther King fought to end it, right? So we've had such a testimony of the church, even just in this nation. And many of you have, can trace it through your families and, and other nations as well. And so here's the deal. If we walk away from this, we're going to get seven times worse. And I can tell you right now that spiritual battles are real. The Bible literally says there are spirits that will try to influence you. And if you become a Christian and God cleans your heart, your house gets clean, but then you turn your back after being a Christian, those spirits will come back worse. And I want to tell you here that my time of a backslider was the worst time I ever had in my life. And I know many of you can relate to that, 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 that there was a point you knew Jesus and you knew the right way. But you walked away, and it was worse than it was when you were a sinner before. I can tell you right now that all of the trauma I face today as a 42-year-old man, all of my trauma was self-inflicted in my time between 15 to 18 years old. Let me just give you an example. I never experienced anxiety until I started ODing on drugs. And still to this day, something can trigger it. Now, of course, by God's grace, I can, you know, do helpful things to not give into it. But I used to feel it because I was on LSD, crystal meth, and all these drugs. And I, I guarantee you, and I know this in my heart, I would have never triggered anxiety in my life if I never would have did drugs at, at that level from those years. Also, the most wicked memories I have are from those years. There are things in my mind, just like if I said to you, when was the first time, you know, you went to Disney World or Six Flags or whatever? We all have memories. I have the first time I looked at porn, the first time I had sex with a girl I wasn't married, the first time I looked at these different gross things, right? And now, today, they're still there. And so when I'm tempted with sin, it's not a woulda, coulda, shoulda. It's, oh, remember then. Come on, it gets quiet, but you know it's right. You see, backsliding does not work out. And I want to warn everybody here, if you're thinking to yourself, well, you know what, I'm still young, I want to kick the tires of the world a little bit more, then I'll come back in. Number one, you're not even guaranteed you're coming back. You're not even guaranteed you're coming back. And number two, you may come back, but you may come back having lost your mind, lost your marriage, and lost a lot of things that you'll wish you had. I'm telling you that. I am telling you. I know backsliders are amen to me that had been there. Now you're saved, you're sanctified, and you wish you could take back those three years of backsliding or those six months because that is painful. I had one brother in the first service, lost his marriage, got on severe, uh, got severely depressed, all because he made decisions purposely against God's will for his life that he thought was cool and fun at the time, but it tumbled down, man, and it's, it is painful. So do not fall for the lies of the devil. We face real spiritual battles, people. The Bible says he is your foe. He is your enemy. And he paints the world. He paints temptation to look so good. And so, for example, because I know what it's like to have illicit sex, that means booty calls, one night stands, all of that, the devil can tempt me and be like, man, Joe, just do it one time. You know, just go out here and do this one time. And he'll remind me of that one time I went to the club and we did this and it ended like this. But you know what he won't remind me of? He won't remind me of two days later when I was at the clinic or something, you know. 
He won't remind you of that. He won't remind you of what it was feeling like after those things began to happen. And I know I'm making extremes here, you know, going to the clinic or whatever, but my point still remains. He will not tell you what it feels like when you start to live that way. Because I've seen it happen, you know. Sometimes we marry young couples here in the church, and then they're like, you know, maybe we got married too young. Maybe the church pressured us. And then they get divorced, and they want to try their, their, their luck back out in the dating field, and they just realize how painful they're setting themselves up for and what it does to the human soul. Now, I believe we can be forgiven. So I'm not saying you won't be forgiven if you come back. But you have to understand, you will come back worse. You will come back with life scars on you. And, and I'm just telling you right now, almost with tears in my eyes, I don't wish that for anybody in this church. I don't. I don't like being the I told you so. When you come back and you say, yeah, yeah, I, I, well, I, I didn't listen, and yeah, it happened. No, I want you to stick with Christ now. Some of us, and I believe this. This is for me. This is not for you. I believe some of us, the Lord has said, this is your last time. I believe if I ever got deceived to walk away from God, that the devil's going to be like, smash that car into him now. Let that one drug he takes be laced with something crazy. And I've heard those stories. They have found pastors OD'd in hotels, and they didn't even know they were doing drugs. You know what I'm talking about. Because I know, just, I, just, I just feel the Lord has told me, Joe, this is it. You walk away from this and try your hand out here again. You're not coming back in. That's your final decision. And there's times in the Bible, they call, they're called reprobates, where God says, Psh, Goodbye, you're gone. Judas, that's it. It was over for Judas. He hung himself. There was no other chances for him, okay? Pharaoh, there was no other chances for him. There are, there are times and places where people can walk away, and that's your final decision. And I could tell you a story that might scare the hell out of you, but it was for my sister. I led my sister to the Lord. She was an alcoholic. She, she and I did drugs together, et cetera. She had two children from two different relationships. And uh, I was in Bible college. And long story short, she called me up crying. And I, I led her to the Lord. I, I said, you know, don't, don't sleep with the man you're with anymore. If you can't leave, you know, sleep on the couch. And long story short, I didn't hear from her for a few weeks. And I asked my mom, how's Jenny doing? And she's like, well, kind of the same. Why do you ask? I'm like, oh, man, because, you know, I prayed for her. I thought she was going to accept Christ and really go hard. She's like, no, pretty much the same. Next time I saw my sister, she was in a casket because she hit a pole going 70 miles an hour, split her car in two, and was dead. I don't know where her soul is. Do you understand? And so that's real deal for me. I had another friend. I'll tell you. I mean, like I said, it might scare the hell out of you, but you might need the hell scared out of you. Amen. Another friend, same, same age. And Christian background, backslid just like me. And he uh, was at a Grateful Dead concert. He was on hallucinogenics. They are out in the woods. He walked off the cliff. He uh, fell into the, the river. They found his body like three days later, later dead. Okay? That was significant enough to me. But after I became saved, I met a guy that knew that guy. And, and it's just, it was a crazy way how it happened. I think it was a God-ordained moment for me to hear the full story. So I was like, you know Brandon? He's like, yeah, I know Brandon. I remember what happened. Boom, 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 boom. And then you know what he said to me? He said, let me tell you the craziest part about it. And I said, what, what is that? He said, Wednesday, Brandon came to the youth group where I was a youth leader and asked me to pray for him to become a Christian. And then he asked me, should I give away my tickets to the Grateful Dead or should I still go? And the guy's name was Mike. And Mike told Brandon, don't go. Give back the tickets. Who cares how much money you lose? Don't go. And that was the last time he saw him. Where's Brandon's soul? I have no idea. Now, some of you might want to see the positive. You might want to say, well, maybe God used you to win them to the Lord, and all sins can be forgiven, and maybe that's a sin that's forgiven. I'm not here to doubt that. What I'm just here to say is they would be alive today if they wouldn't have done that crazy stuff because the devil took them out early. And at the worst, they're in hell right now. At the, at, at, at the least, their lives were cut short because the devil said, I am taking you out and I'm taking you out now. That's what sin will cost you sometimes, okay? And so if you're right now going, well, I'm living in sin and there's nothing wrong and look at me, you don't realize you're dancing on ice. Eventually, it's going to break through and then it is too late because I'm telling you, how many times did my sister die, drive drunk? All the time. But there was one time it was too late. How many times did my friends do drugs in the, in the, in the, um, the woods? That's all we ever used to do is get high in the woods and all that. But one time, boom, it was over. Do not mess with God. If he has cleaned your house, keep your house clean. Amen? And then in 2 Peter, it says, if you go back to your sin, it's like a dog going back to vomit. The Bible actually says that. Or a pig going back to its mud. Look at your neighbor and say, I ain't no dog or pig. Amen, amen. Rachel, would you come up here, please, as we close out. Uh, verse 46. 
as I said, it's a little hard to put them all together when you're going through a chapter because they don't always relate. But I think we can get a theme here. Let's be a good tree with good fruit, and let's close it out with who are Jesus' brothers and sisters and mother. Look at what it says in verse 46. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to talk to you. He replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Everybody go, oh, snap. That's not Catholic Mary, is it? Because Catholic Mary gets to tell Jesus what to do. Jesus told his mother here what to do. Now, I do honor the Catholics because they honor the people of God, and we ought not to tease them too much. But when they start violating Scripture, we need to tell them, like, first of all, we're not supposed to pray to the mother. We pray to Jesus. I even saw a bumper sticker one time that said, if you can't get a hold of Jesus, try his mom. If you can't get a hold of Jesus, you're calling up the wrong Jesus. Are you calling up Jesus Gonzalez? Who are you calling up? I always get a hold of Jesus. Amen. Jesus always picks up for me. Now, Jesus Gonzalez, you know, who sells in lotes on the corner, I can't always get a hold of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? But I always get a hold of Jesus. Amen. Now, this is the part that will blow your mind right here because it almost looks like there's some drama here. How many of you as adults have had adult drama with your mom, your dad, your brothers, or sisters, somebody in your family? Be real. Don't be afraid. They're not here. They're not watching. Okay. I, I've had issues with, with my parents. I've had issues with my in-laws. I've had issues with my brothers and sisters. I've had issues with my uncles, my cousins. Just because you are a Christian doesn't mean there won't be uh, messes in your family. What we need to do is rise above it, do the right thing. For whatever reason, we don't know the mess here, but if you read it just the way I think it was meant to be presented to us, it seems like Mary's outside, and she's not going in because the, the obvious thing is, why don't you just walk in and talk to Jesus? She's outside. Tell Jesus his mom's out here. Come on, somebody. Does anybody got a mom like that? Come on. Does anybody have a mother-in-law like that? Come on. I'm out here. You tell them to come see me. Anybody got a brother like that? Says, you, you, you come call me. You come do this. That's the impression I'm getting. Because if she really wanted Jesus, just walk in the room and talk to your son. Something must have been going on. What I learned from this by not hearing much about the mess is we're not supposed to tell our messes about our family everywhere. So we can ask for advice. We can seek for prayer and help. But we shouldn't make our family mess everybody else's mess. I appreciate that the Bible is not keeping up with the Kardashians. It's called the Bible for a reason. Amen? So if you do have issues in your family, do not always call up people and tell them all your issues. If you have an issue in your marriage, don't always call up and tell everybody your issues. Get help with the people you need help with. Once again, this is not saying if you are abused or if someone's hurting you or touching you or children, please do not listen to their lies. We will help you today to get help, okay? Can I hear an amen to that? We are very serious about getting you out of situations. I'm talking just about arguments and fights. That's what I'm talking about here. Not abuse, not, not hurting you. So they must have had a fight. That's my best guess. I'm not sure, but it sure sounds like it though, right? They probably had a disagreement. Mary comes over there and it's like, you go tell him mama's out here brother's out here and I love what Jesus does he goes go tell my mom this is my mother this is my brother this is my sister whoever does the will of God that's awesome I love that so literally you have no if you're our mother here you have no different of a place with Jesus than Mary had we honor her, we respect her. She was chosen for that purpose, but at this point, Jesus opened the whole door up to his family tree. Everybody gets to be Jesus' mothers now. Everybody gets to be Jesus' brother or sister. He has one father, we all get that, but everybody gets to be in the family now. Isn't that beautiful? The other thing that I, I get from this that I think we should too is that it's not based on your relationship to him or somebody you know's relationship to him? Because if his own mother and brothers couldn't get clout, you're not getting it because your dad was a pastor or your mom was an usher or, you, or your family sang in the choir. Like, trust me, nobody's getting it. I went to Bible college. I, nobody's getting to be in that family tree except those who do the will of God. I think they were doing the will of God, 
but not in that situation. So I do still think his mothers and brothers made it. James and uh, Jude are his brothers, and we know Mary was a precious saint of God. But we don't get in because my mom was awesome. My dad was this. My, my, my college, you know, I went to this college. No, no, no. Here's how you know if you get in at the table of Jesus and get called family, familia, is if you do the will of his father. That is so encouraging to me. You want to know why? Because my parents weren't pastors. But I get to pastor now. Why? Because I do the will of my father, who is Jesus' father. I get to be in the father's business now. And you get to do all that God's called you to do, and you might be the first in your family. You might need a new family. Some of us have godly families that we bring with us into Christianity or our parents brought us in and helped us to know Jesus. But some of us literally got to start over. And I want to encourage you today. If you're starting over, you are not alone. Can I be honest with you? Every single one of you are closer to me than my remaining other brother and sister are closer to me. Josh, sitting right here in the front row, is light years ahead of me and my brother's relationship. Why? Because my brother kept doing drugs even after my sister died, and he's an ornery dude, you know, and doesn't want anything to do with God or my mom, you know, and that side of the family he has a different dad from my mom's first marriage. And Dude, I would call up a, a Josh in a heartbeat. I don't even have my brother's phone number anymore. Some of you, it's, it's going to be like that. That doesn't mean you stop praying for them. I'm not saying that, you know, you don't give up hope. I was just praying for them today when my wife was like, pray out three people. I'm still praying for Mitch. That's my brother's name if you ever want to lift him up. My sister, Lisa. But you need to start with the right family in your new life. You can bring them with you. You can pray for them. But do not let anyone hold you back. Jesus would not even let Mary hold him back. So if Jesus said, Mary... I'm doing the will of God, and it's right here. You want to come in? Then come walk yourself in like everybody else, mama, because other than that, I'm preaching right here. And I, and I know I know we are very respectful towards our parents, but we got to be real sometimes. Mama, I know you got the barbecue at 11, but my church is at 11. You can come join me right here. I'll be there at 1. But mama, I'm going to church. Mama, I know that you had me baptized when I was a baby because we were raised Catholic. But, Mama, the Bible doesn't say they baptize babies. They baptize believers. So if you want to come and we pray and, and, and bless the child, you can do that. But we're not doing it that way, even though I know Grandpa did it Great-Grandpa did it. It gets real when it comes into your family. Everyone's going to make a choice at some point. Who's their mother, brother, and sister? And so I want to encourage you to walk with Jesus. He's a good brother. Amen. And the Father, there's nobody else like him. Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus today. Come on. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus.